Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and I have four words for you that is going to thrill you. And here they are. Jesus is coming again. All right, you see? It worked, didn't it? You're thrilled, as am I. We're going to talk about that today with Mark Atterbury. He, he is the author. He's a uh, speaker, a writer, a consultant. And he is going to talk to us about that very joyous topic. Mark, welcome. Hey, it's good to be with you, Bill. Yeah, I mean, I know we hear a lot of bad news all week long. We do. In fact, just about everybody I meet, at least strike up a conversation, and maybe not 100%, but most of the people I meet, they open with some kind of comment about how bad things are these days. And and I think everybody, even if you don't watch the news even in the evenings, of course, if you do watch the news, you're really depressed. But if you don't <laughs> watch the news, you still have to put gas in your car and yep. you still go to the grocery store. You see how high the prices are. And then if you do catch a little snippet of news here and there, it's about a mass shooting or a war in Ukraine, or it's about violent crime exploding across the country, or it's about opioids, or it's about the southern border and how many criminals and and terrorists are coming into our country. And it's really hard to get away from just this awful news that surrounds us, and it has people really discouraged and pessimistic and sometimes even feeling hopeless. And so I thought, you know, I need to think of something positive to say to people, something encouraging. And uh, so I got onto this thing about reminding people that Jesus is coming again. I, I believe that is the greatest news we'll ever hear. People who are living in a fallen world, and we struggle, and, and, and life is so hard at times, but it's not always going to be this way. Jesus is coming again. And there's a passage of Scripture in First Thessalonians that I, I'm drawn to when this topic comes up. I'll just read part of it. it. Paul is speaking, and he says, I'm telling you this directly from the Lord, and I love that part. This is not Paul's ideas. This is not his opinion. This is... This is a message from God. He says, we who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God. And he says, first, the believers who have died will rise from their graves, and then together with them, we who are alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And then comes the really great part. He says, then we will be with the Lord forever. And I love the tag he puts on that passage. The very last line of verse 18 says, so encourage each other with these words. No further calls. We've got a winner. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. So I I seized on that, and I thought, well, he says to use his words to encourage each other, so that's what I started trying to do. I I just started suggesting to people who are moaning and groaning about the way things are, I said, you know what? It's not always going to be this way. Jesus is coming again. And And it is amazing 
you said it a moment, moment ago, it is amazing how people perk up when you say that. People of faith. I mean, we know this is true. We know Jesus is coming again, but it's so easy to let it drift far away from our minds. And so if we bring it back to the forefront, we, we think about it, it really is encouraging. I don't know, Bill, if you are a late-night TV talk show guy. I'm not. But many years ago, if you were maybe about 20 years old at the time and you were watching The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, you happened maybe one night to see Billy Graham on there as a guest. And you talk about strange bedfellows. Those two guys are about as different as night and day. Mm -hmm. Johnny Carson and Billy Graham. But they sat there one night on the set of the show. And Johnny Carson said this to Billy Graham. He said, Billy, what do you think would happen if Jesus came to earth again? I bet we would do him in again. And I love Billy Graham's answer. He said, you know, Johnny, Jesus said that he would return to earth, but it'll be different this time. The first time he came in love, but the next time he's coming in power. And then he added this. He said, believe me, no one will do him in. And I think that really is what Paul was saying in 1 Thessalonians 4 when he said the Lord is coming from heaven with a commanding shout and, and with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God. This is not going to be a meek arrival in a manger. This is going to be a powerful coming and I'm captivated by that um, that idea that he's coming with a commanding shout. I wonder what in the world he's going to shout. Is it going to be just a, a cry like a war hoop? Is it going to be a, a, a statement? Is it going to be a word, maybe a phrase? Well, I don't know what it's going to be. But the way my mind works, I like to think about what it could be, maybe what it might be. And I've come up with a little something that I think if he did say it, and I can't guarantee that he will, I don't know. But if he did, it would certainly be appropriate. And it, it's kind of instructive if we think about it. I think two words that he could shout that would have a lot of meaning for us, those two words would be no more. If he came on the clouds and he said no more, what could he be referring to? Well, let's think about it. For Christians, when Jesus comes again, there's going to be no more pain. And the power of that is almost mind-blowing because much of our lives is wrapped up, are wrapped up in pain. Um, physical discomfort, I mean, think about all the people in hospitals. Think about all the people walking around with casts on their bodies and, and you know, just incredible types of pain, black eyes, sprained ankles, broken bones, cancer. Um, even people who are my age, they learn to live with pain, pain every day, because there comes a point in your life where just about everything hurts all the time. And I was talking to a guy one time who said, you know, I've reached the age where everything hurts. He said, Mark, uh, even when my underwear starts creeping up on me, I don't even bother to fix it because I know that's the best feeling I'm going to have all day. <laughs> and, and it's true. I mean, I've reached that age where just about everything hurts all the time. Mm -hmm. and, and But our promise is that when Jesus comes again, that all ends. We don't have any more physical discomfort of any kind. Mm -hmm. 
But there's another kind of pain that's just really tough to deal with, and that's sorrow. And I'm sure there are people listening to this broadcast right now whose hearts are broken for who knows what reason. Maybe a loved one has died recently, or maybe they've gotten a a bad report from their doctor, or maybe some hope or dream that they've been chasing is now dashed forever. And the sorrow they feel is, is almost overwhelming. But Revelation 24 says that when Jesus comes again, he'll wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. Then he says these things are going to be gone forever. Now, I don't know how you get any better news than that, but that's the promise of Scripture. And then the third thing I think about, if Jesus said no more for Christians, it would mean no more shame. See, that's the third kind of pain that we all deal with. And shame is the pain you feel when you know you've blown it. It's it's just such a devastating thing. Think about Judas. He was ashamed of himself for betraying Jesus, so ashamed that he went out and hung himself for, from a tree. And uh, David in the Old Testament had that affair with Bathsheba, and he was so ashamed about that that in Psalm 51, he's writing about it, and he says that at that time in his life, uh, his rebellion haunted him day and night. I don't know if you've ever been haunted day and night by something you did, but it, it's just awful to be in that situation. There's an English poet named Nicholas Rowe who said that guilt or shame is like a fiend that follows along behind you with a whip. And I think that's such a powerful picture, how you just can't get away from the pain of guilt uh, when it's heaped upon you. But when Jesus comes again, all of that is going to be gone. I just don't know how you get any better news than this as a Christian to know that no matter what's going on in this world, all the pain you feel, all the physical discomfort, uh, all the sorrow, all the shame that, that you encounter in life, it's all going to be gone. And so I try to encourage Christians with that. Um, but then you've got to think about what about the people who aren't Christians when Jesus comes again? What is there for them to know? Well, I think Jesus, if he shouted no more, for non-Christians, it will be um, a statement that there's no more chance to, to get right with God. And I know that sounds like bad news on the surface, but I think it's, it's actually good news because it comes to us as a warning in Scripture that they hear that warning and hopefully they will respond. First um, Thessalonians 5.3 says, when people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them suddenly, as suddenly as a, a pregnant woman's labor pains begin, and there will be no escape. Well, that's a sobering thought, but... It's a good thing to know. We want that warning so that people who aren't following Christ can make a, a decision about whether they want to or not, whether they want to uh, begin following him. Bill, one of the things that discourages me so much is that there are believers and unbelievers alike, but there are people who don't believe this. They do not believe that anybody's going to go to hell. I've had people say to me, Mark, the Bible says God is love, 
And if God is love, I just can't believe that he's going to send anybody to an eternal, fiery hell. And I try to remind them that the same Bible that says God is love also says that we are going to reap what we sow. Mm. Mark, I have got a big question about what you uh, what we've just been talking about, and I, I probably will address it after the break because we're at that point in the show where I do have to step aside just for a second. But, sure. Uh, we have got such good news knowing that Jesus is coming again, and Mark Atterbury is my guest. You, you can learn about Mark and his amazing books at a little stronger everyday.com. A little stronger everyday.com. We'll be right back. Podcasts like mine are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. My guest for you today is Mark Atterbury. We're talking about the Lord is coming back. Jesus is coming back. That's such good news. In 1 Thessalonians 5.3, Mark, there's this thing just jumped off the page when you were talking about it. It says, everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin and there will be no escape. So that word disaster, and you think of the lost, disaster will fall on them suddenly. It's very humbling to hear that. But do they not believe because they don't want to or because they can't believe because they're so spiritually blinded? I think it could be both, actually. Some people are so spiritually blinded that they just wouldn't know the truth if it was right in front of them. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't be able to see it. But I do think there are people who, you know, we all tell ourselves things that we know may not be true, but we we try to convince ourselves um, so that we don't have to change, you know, so that we can go on doing what we're doing. Like we try to minimize our sin or whatever. We try to, well, that's not so bad. I'm not as bad as that person over there. You know, we try to convince ourselves of things. And and I think there are people out there who are not living for the Lord, and they are trying to convince themselves that, you know, hey, the Bible says God is love, and, and he, he's going to, he's not going to be um, he's not going to send me to hell when it comes right down to it. He loves me. The Bible tells me he loves me, and he wants me to be happy. And, you know, there's all kinds of things we try to convince ourselves of, but the Bible's very clear. And that verse right there, First Thessalonians 5.3, says it's going to be a disaster for anyone who doesn't have a relationship with Christ. And it's it's all about sowing and reaping. If you have sown a life of disobedience, and rejecting God and ignoring his word and living the way you want to live, then what you're going to reap is that judgment. And that law of sowing and reaping is not going to suddenly be, um, you know, declared null and void at judgment day. That's when it's really going to come into play. Um, I was reading not long ago some famous last words of well-known people. And you never know if these things are totally accurate or not. Some of them may be more urban legend than anything. But but I was reading about Mark Twain when he was on his deathbed. 
And uh, somebody asked him how he felt about standing before God. And Mark Twain, in a famous response, said, I think I'm going to need a good lawyer. And clever, witty, but I got news for everybody. If you stand before God without Jesus Christ, without a relationship with Jesus Christ, there's no lawyer in the world that's going to do you any good. The Bible says there will be no escape. But the good news is that we've been warned. The good news is that God has been open with us. He has told us this. He has given us every opportunity to to accept him. And, and so when, when Jesus comes again and he says no more, if he does, it could mean no more pain for Christians, no more chances for unbelievers. Then there's one more thing. If he said no more, I think he could be saying, hey, no more wondering. Because we do, don't we? We wonder when Jesus is going to come back. We speculate. We think about it. Um, One of my favorite stories, this is absolutely true. You can look this up. Just Google it. You'll see all this stuff. Way back in the 1980s, a preacher by the name of Edgar Wisenant published a little booklet called 88 Reasons Why Jesus Will Return in 1988. And you already know since it's the year 2022 that he was wrong. But it's amazing what happened when he came out with that little book. He said that Jesus was going to return on September 10th, 11th, or 12th of 1988. He had done a lot of calculations, done a lot of Bible study, and he had come up with this prediction, and the media picked it up, and suddenly people were were getting on board with this thing. They were selling their possessions, getting ready to go to heaven, and I'm— Really not sure why you would sell your possessions to get ready to go to heaven, because it's true. You can't take your possessions with you when you go, but neither can you take the money you make with them uh, if you sell them. So I'm not sure what the point of that was. But people did this, and they were preparing to go to heaven, but obviously Jesus didn't return in 1988. So Edgar Wisenant stepped up, and he said, now, wait a minute. Maybe I made a miscalculation. Maybe my math was wrong. And so he dove back into his numbers, and he calculated everything again. And he came back, and he said, you know, I did. I made a mistake. It's actually 1989 when Jesus is going to return. And, of course, he didn't return in 89 either. And you would think that when things like that happen, everybody would realize, wait a minute, this is a futile endeavor. Nobody knows. But strangely enough, about 10 years later, it all started up again. You may remember at the turn of the millennium, there were so many people predicting that something cataclysmic was going to happen, that Jesus was going to return in the year 2000. But, of course, he didn't. And, and so there are so many people out there wondering when it's going to happen, maybe trying to speculate. But Matthew 24, 36 says, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself, only the Father knows. And I just want to say this straight out, maybe it's a little blunt, but just stop trying to figure out when it's going to happen. Here's my advice to anyone who's thinking about the second coming of Jesus. Don't be trying to figure out when it's going to happen. Just live your life in a way that you'll be ready whenever it happens. And I think that's the best way to approach it. Don't worry about when, just worry about being ready because it is going to happen. And you know, Bill, for every one of us, it'll be either the greatest day of our lives or the worst. 
um, you know, when, when Jesus comes again with that commanding shout, you know, you're going to be running to meet the Lord or you're going to be heading for the hills. You're going to be screaming with excitement or you're going to be screaming in terror. There's not going to be any middle ground. There's nobody on when Jesus comes again that's going to be hemming and hawing about it. You're either going to be totally excited or totally terrified. And he is coming. Somebody pointed out to me recently that um, the New Testament mentions the second coming of Christ 300 times. Wow. Now, I, didn't, I didn't know that, and I haven't counted them, but that's what I read, and I thought, that's incredible. 300 times in the New Testament, the second coming is mentioned. And I relate it this way. Like if you were driving down a road and you saw a sign beside the road that said, bridge out ahead you would think, wow, I'm glad I saw that sign. I'm glad I wasn't looking the other direction when I passed that sign. You'd be thankful for that sign. But what if you saw 300 signs telling you there was a bridge out ahead? Well, you would say at least this to yourself. Wow, somebody really wanted me to know there's a bridge out ahead. Wanted to make sure I didn't miss the sign to put out 300 of them. Well, that's what God did in the New Testament. He mm. mentioned the second coming 300 times. I think that's God saying, folks, I don't want you to miss this. This is the greatest thing that's ever going to happen. I don't want you to miss it. He put out 300 signs and so Mark, that we would know Jesus is coming. And Mark, the common sense part of me says, why don't you just fix the bridge? <laughs> Well, I mean, putting up 300 signs is expensive. Just spend the money to fix the bridge. Exactly. But I love exactly. your point. And the question you might want to ask is, are you mad at the sign, and are you mad at the people that put the signs up? Right. You should be grateful that you have news. You're not going to drive off a bridge that's not there. Right. And that's why I say that even the warning to unbelievers is still good news. Because it's telling you what's coming and giving you an opportunity to do something about it. Now, you can choose to ignore the sign and drive right off the cliff if you want to, mm -hmm. but, but that's your choice. You don't have to do that. You've been given every opportunity to be saved. Wow, so good. Um, such a delight, Mark. And I'm thinking of what Paul said. He said it so well in Romans 13, 11. He said, time is running out. Wake up for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. So uh, what Absolutely. a clarion call for those who might be thinking, I don't know if I'm right with God today. I need to be right with God and and uh, be in right relationship with him. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. You're a delight. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Hey, well, thank you for inviting me. I enjoy it. Yeah. And I am uh, wanting to just let everyone who heard this interview, uh, if you want to pass it on to a friend, do so. You can also go to Mark's website, a littlestrongereveryday.com. And he's got a number of books and things to read and check up on, and you will be delighted to go and check it out. So, Mark, have a great rest of the day, and we'll do this again. Hey, thanks, Bill. Talk to you soon. You bet. All right, we'll take a little break, and we will be uh, right back.
are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold, Faith, Hope, and Clarity, in a special repeat performance. Why does God let me suffer? Why does God let me suffer? I bet you've had that question running through your head more than once. My guest is uh, Mike Novotny, and we're going to talk about that. He's written a brand new book called When Life Hurts, How to See Through Suffering. And I'm always glad to have Mike on the show. Uh, he's served uh, in full-time ministry since 2007 as a pastor in Madison and now Appleton, Wisconsin. Uh, Mike, you there? I am. Oh, awesome. Sounded like you went away there for a minute. <laughs> so <laughs> that was me panicking. <laughs> as a professional radio host, I was panicking. <laughs> But anyway, you've got uh, also the Time of Grace television program, and you've uh, got a busy life. So I appreciate you taking the time to be on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me back, and, Bill. And you probably floss daily, don't you? I used to, but we ran out of floss. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, put that on your list of things to buy. So let's talk about suffering. Why, why does God let me suffer? Oh, that's the huge question that everyone asks yeah. and that few people can answer. And it is actually the question that takes up the bulk of the Old Testament book that we call Job. Um, you know, we can get through hard things if we have a good reason. You know, if we know there's a greater cause, we might go to the gym and it's painful, but we know we're getting stronger. Or a woman might go through the pains of labor because she knows that a child is on the other end. Mm -hmm. But but when you go through something difficult in life and there is no obvious answer why it's happening or what good is coming out of it, those are some of the toughest times to suffer that really shake our faith. And so in this book, I, I try to explore that question. Like why, when we go through a divorce or infertility or cancer or chronic illness or, you know, our spouse um, says they don't love us anymore mm -hmm. or you're abused as a child we just ache for answers from God. And so the book of Job kind of gives us some direction of where to find solid, predictable, and good enough answers that keep us going in our faith. Yeah, Mike, you said in your book that Job was the the, the, the goat. He was the greatest of all time when it came to suffering. <laughs> Clearly, that has got to be the truth. Yeah. And what's so fascinating is the book of Job starts with the fact that he was actually the godliest man of ancient times. So... He wasn't suffering because he was bad, even though that's what his friends accused him of for many chapters in the book. It wasn't because God was disciplining him because he was foolish or sinful or needed to be warned. So it makes us actually expand our theology of suffering and hardship. It's easy to think, well, I'm hungover because I drank too much. Or, well, it's a bad day of marriage because I was selfish and didn't serve my spouse. No, for Job, that wasn't the reason why he suffered and it really makes us think of the reasons that we're suffering, too. It might not as be as clean-cut and as simple as we think. Mm -hmm. I just got a comment uh, from Mike who said, uh, not you, Mike, another Mike, uh, why did my wrestling coach make me suffer at practice so I was strong enough to compete? Mm, yeah. That's the wisdom of my listeners. Yeah. They, I, you know, people with Mike, they just say, they say the right things. <laughs> <laughs> you think Mike's are on a streak today? <laughs> If my if my wife is listening, there might be a flurry of comments. <laughs> yeah. Now, would point. your would your wife be as unsupportive as Job's wife was? Why don't you, why don't you just curse curse God and die? Just get it over yeah. with. Yeah. What I love about the Book of Job is how candid and honest it is. Um, you know, it's, it's I've heard professional comedians kind of poke at why did 
why did God take away Job's kids but not his wife? Um, <laughs> yeah. Kind of tongue-in-cheek there. But, you know, Job's – think of that. If you, if you were a mother who had 10 children and not just one of them passed away, but you went to 10 funerals, um, I, I think there's a, a gritty reality that even Job, who is so godly for 35 chapters, has questions and even accusations about God. So it struck me that the book of Job chapter length is longer than any single gospel in the New Testament. And I wonder if that's because when we're really hurting in a deep and profound and personal way, it is a long journey. You know, it's a marathon where we're faithful and then we're not. And then we trust God and I know he has a plan for me. And then why why are you doing this, God? What could possibly be good enough for this level of hurt? So one of the things I appreciate about the Bible is just how honest it is. It doesn't slap a sticker and, hey, rejoice, God has a good plan for you. But it actually brings you front and center with people like Job and his wife who were hurting so badly their faith was truly shaken. Mm-hmm. Pastor Mike Novotny is my guest. Um, Mike, when when we live every day with unknowns, we get up every day thinking, well, I've got a, a busy day ahead of me and things to do and job to go to. But then there's those unknowns that take place and you get blindsided by stuff. So when you find that suffering has come on you like a tsunami, then what? Yeah, I think uh, the big phrase I take away from the book, because if you actually have the, the courage and the time to read all 42 chapters, when God finally shows up, he never explains to Job why he suffered. Mm hmm. Um, you would think, you know, here was my plan, or you couldn't see this, but I was going to work out this good, you know, kind of the wrestling coach saying it hurts now, but you're going to win the match and the championship when you're, you know, can persevere and, and, and struggle and suffer, but he doesn't. And so to me, the, the big phrase that I take away from the book of Job is you don't know why, and you won't know why, but you do know who. Mm-hmm. So no, there's no page in the Bible that explains why you had that miscarriage. No, you can bang your head against the wall demanding an answer why you went through that as a kid. And many people do choose the route of bitterness and questions that you deserve an answer. Um, but when God actually shows up, he doesn't explain why. He just reveals his bigness, his glory, and his love for Job. Mm-hmm. And, and so to me, I, I would encourage anyone who's suffering deeply right now, as much as you want to, and as natural and as understandable as it is, stop asking why and start asking the question, who? Who is God? If this is the God who loved me at my worst, if this is the God who went through his own pain on the cross so that I could be saved, if this is the God who's my heavenly father and wants me to cast all my anxiety on him, the devil wants me to demand a why, so I start to question the who. Interesting. I like that. God is saying, take all of your whys, to what you do know for sure. I'm a God of love who gave my only son for you. I must be good. I must be for you. And don't let this pain question those simple answers that you used to believe when you were clinging to the cross. Mm -hmm. Mike, when you're in the middle of suffering, though, and you're hurting, it's hard to see your way forward. Yes. I did an interview yesterday, and it really struck me that this book might be helpful for people who are in pain, but the right answers are going to be so hard to believe in the moment that I've actually come to believe if you're not suffering and life is good, you need to read this as fast as you can. Like you, mm. you need to get a good theology of suffering because good theology, it'll be really hard to believe once that moment comes. So it's going to happen sooner or later. God's maybe giving right now. He's going to take away sometime in the future, 
prepare yourself for that moment by, you know, you read my book or don't, but read the book of Job and understand what God is saying to you through it. You do other interviews than my show? I, I just feel like I'm learning this for the first time. This is this is troubling to me. You know, you're uh, no. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm really a lot for words, Arnold. But you, but you have done it. All right, let's let's go back. Let's go back to suffering because we all know that when we're, when we're suffering, our vision is going to get cloudy, and we are going to start hearing things, and we're going to start assuming things that uh, are not. Are not from yeah. God, right? Yes. So, absolutely. How do we put up the defense, a protective wall around us, so we can keep those thoughts out and try to get our our thinking clear? Yeah. Because isolation, I, I really, right? Isolation it, is one of the things that happens when you when you start to feel like you are alone and suffering, and you start to get yeah. Uh, isolated. Yeah. Th- there's no simple roadmap. I mean, if you've ever been through pain or love someone who's gone through deep loss. I, I think just accepting the fact that it's going to be messy, um, just like forgiving someone who hurts you, this isn't going to be, you know, I make the once and for all decision to trust God and believe that he's good. Nope. No, no, no. You're going to have to wake up and make a decision every day and every moment. Is God good or not? Um, and you might have a really good day today. And tomorrow you might just be triggered by your loneliness and loss, and it's mm-hmm. a rough day. Okay, okay, that happens. It's part of the process of pain. But tomorrow's a new day. God's mercy is going to be there for you. Run back to the cross and his word and reestablish your conviction that the God that you worship is a good, merciful, um, and wonderful God. Mm-hmm. Mike Novotny is my guest. Mike, when you are trying to navigate the heartache in your life and you've got suffering and it doesn't seem to let up, and what do you do when you when – you, you think, I, I can't control this, and I can't make sense of it. Yeah. And that part's driving me nuts. Yeah. I would try to find someone who's been through what you've been through, but is about five to ten years down the road. Um, you're in the fog. So let's say you're struggling with, um, you've been abused, or you've been through some great family loss. You're a widow for the first time. It just doesn't make sense to you. I would I would reach out to someone you know who's a widow who is kind of gotten out of the fog of those initial years of pain and maybe they've started to see the goodness of God again and can speak with tons of empathy and compassion and remind you, Hey, God really did mean this when he said he was going to work out all things for the good of his people. (laughs) To be honest, I I didn't believe that on day one. I didn't believe that on day 100, (laughs) but now, now on day 1000, I realized my, my faith was not foolish. He really did. And I, I wouldn't blame you if you doubted it and questioned it and thought I was making things up, but it is true, and I'm living, breathing proof. Hmm. I'd love for you to say more about that. Yeah. Um, how about this story? Um, if you ask me, like, why do I write Christian books or why am I a pastor, I would go back to the late 90s when I was reading the Bible and something in the Gospels inspired me to ministry. And if you ask me why in the late 90s was I going to church, I would tell you, because my mom brought me. <laughs> you know, she was a, the church-going Christian mom who invited me and slash dragged me and said, <laughs> get out of bed, we're, we're going to church. Mm-hmm. But if you asked why was my mom a church-going woman, I would take you back to 1981 when my little brother died at six weeks old. And my mom, who had believed in the goodness of God, went through the, the greatest loss of her life. And... In that moment, 
I'm I'm so profoundly grateful. My mom would tell you she does not have great faith, but I think she does. Because when she had lost one of the most precious things to her, instead of running from God or running from the Bible or running from church, she ran right to it Mm. and right to him. And even though I was only one year old at the time, I don't remember any of this. I was raised as a kid who got to hear the gospel and learn about the goodness of God because my mom proved that she wasn't just doing this church thing because it was convenient or easy. God was not a vending machine to her who was only worthy to be worshipped if you spit out an easy, comfortable life. So I might say to someone, you know, you, you might be like my mom in 1981, and you might have zero clue that 15 years from now, God's going to do some great thing through the pain. You could never see it. Um, but man, God does not lie. And when he says that all things are underneath the feet of Jesus and are being used and ruled for the good of the church, he means it. He, he can't be dishonest about that. So, you know, listen to stories of like that of people who have suffered profoundly and yet God brought good out of it and take heart because your story will be the same. Yeah, that's an amazing story. And I, I have to say your mom uh, was remarkably strong because, I mean, you're one years old and there's got to be unimaginable grief in her life. And yet she's got to get up every day and raise young Mike. Yeah. I don't know if there were other siblings at the time, but uh, those were strong developmental years for you. And and she was probably deeply sad and yet was showing up in a profound way every day. Yeah. That actually strikes me as a pastor. Now I see this in a whole new way. You know, someone's listening right now and they went to church last Sunday, even though it was a bad week, there's something really pure and genuine about that. Like, if you can lift up your hands and praise the name of Jesus, even though you don't have the perfect home life, that's actually proof that you really do love Jesus and you're not just using him because he's using his power to snap his fingers and give you what you want. Mm -hmm. So when people stumble in the church with chronic pain or as widows or widowers or people who struggle with fertility or finances or whatever it is, um, 1 Peter chapter 1 says that's like the proven genuineness of your faith. It's what the devil accused Job of. Oh, he just loves you, God, because life is easy, and you blessed him with all this stuff. And no, when we worship God in the pain and the storm, it is saying something to the world that Jesus is actually worthy no matter what kind of life he gives us. So I've come to appreciate the people who are struggling but still show up. There's something beautiful and pure about that expression of faith. Mm -hmm. Pastor Mike Novotny is my guest. His book is called When Life Hurts, How to See Through Suffering. If you have a question or you've got uh, something you'd like to ask Mike, the text line is open, 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. Why does God let me suffer? That's a question that was asked by Pastor Mike Novotny. He's written a book called When Life Hurts, How to See Through Suffering. And I know, Mike, that there are a lot of people listening today that have suffering on their plate. They can't make sense of it. They can't control it. And it's all-consuming. How do you put this in a in a compartment, how do you live with it and walk it out when it's it's the loudest voice in your head? Yeah. So the book of Job, it's 42 chapters long. 
Um, the setup is kind of chapters one and two. And then for the next 35 chapters, Job and his friends argue about why this pain is happening. Mm-hmm. 35 chapters. So mm-hmm. It's the longest record. I, I picture like the comment section on Facebook where they're, they're, every two seconds there, the bubbles show up and they're commenting back and forth. But then in Job, uh, I think it's 38 or 39, God shows up. And what is so fascinating to me is that God, I counted in my Bible, God asks Job 77 straight questions. Wow. Yeah, 77 separate times. He goes round one until Job is like wide-eyed and failing, and then God doubles down and says, get ready, here comes round two. And what's so interesting to me is that God's point to Job at the end is, I am God and you aren't. Um, The way I run the universe is so far beyond your understanding. You don't know how the rain works. You don't know which way the wind blows. You don't know why ostriches are the way that they are. Like mm-hmm. God, God goes on this whirlwind tour of creation as a way of saying, listen, your point of view of the universe is so limited. And so you don't even know how many hairs are on your own head mm-hmm. or how many breaths you yourself took today. But I know that. And wow. in fact, no sparrow falls to the ground without my knowledge. And, and that's actually enough for Job. He repents. He says, I, I despise myself for questioning God. He's so much bigger than me. He's so full of love. So I would encourage a person to do that. Um, when I was a young pastor, I think she was 17. Uh, a young woman from our church had brain cancer since she was nine and passed away. And I got to speak at her funeral. I've, I've, I literally walked into the living room just after she passed. And, you know, I've seen this girl with her eyes closed and her head in her mother's lap. You know, what, what do you say to a family who's lost their baby girl? And I remember in, in that moment at that sermon, I, I talked about a straw, that the way we look at life is like closing one eye and, and peeking through a little straw with the other. And you can only see this tiny little spot instead of this big panoramic 360 view. Mm-hmm. And I had to be honest with people saying, you know, we're, we're just zoomed in on the death of this girl. And it seems so wrong and backwards and inexplicable. But we just have to accept that our God is a God who sees everything. He knows the people who are going to come to her funeral service and hear about the hope through a risen Savior. He knows how this pain will shape every family member, pastor, and member of this church. God, we can never, ever comprehend what God will do through this one moment. So, no, we don't know why. But just like Job, we have to admit, I know so little about the universe and the one who does is the one who has proven his goodness to me through his son, Jesus. Mm-hmm. So coming back, I don't know why, but I do know who. Yeah. Mike, when it comes to bad things happening, I don't, I don't really want to dwell on this, but it seems that they happen in clusters. I, I've always heard that things happen in groups of three. And mm-hmm. for Job, it happened in way more than groups of three, although he lost you know, his uh, livestock and his home and his kids and all that. So uh, what, what about when your experience comes in clusters. Yeah. Oh, that's just the worst, isn't it? Oh, it's the worst. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and to be honest, when you are faced with a cluster of bad news, you do see things myopically. You, you, you have a hard time some, seeing the big picture. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, Job, in the beginning of the book, he's so great. You know, he says things like, God gives and God takes away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And his wife breaks down and says, curse God and die. And he says, no, that, that's foolish talk. Should we not accept bad from God as well as good? But it's when 
it's when the pain lasts for a little bit longer that Job starts to waver. So, yeah, isn't that so true with us, too? It's like one thing happens and we're good. Two things happen, we're holding on. And then it just doesn't go away. And that's when pain kind of breaks us. Um, Maybe what's such a comfort to me is that Job's name appears later in the Old Testament. And it's not on a list of the wishiest, washiest people from the Old Testament. It's actually in a very short list of the most faithful believers there are. Mm -hmm. So God is kind of rebuking his Old Testament people. And he's talking about really righteous examples. And he brings up Noah and he brings up Daniel. And number three, he brings up Job. And so that, that is such a great comfort to me that even though you and I are going to be back and forth, good and bad, trusting and not, that, that God isn't looking at us through the bare facts of how strong our faith is. He's looking at us through the lens of Jesus and his forgiveness. So in the midst of all that mess and all the good and all the bad, I just love the comfort that we have that we're righteous as a gift from God that comes through Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Pastor Mike Novotny is my guest. He's written a book called When Life Hurts, How to See Through Suffering. So, Mike, as you write this book, what were some of your aha moments, some of your personal aha moments? Oh, yeah, the the little phrase jumped out of me, to give God the right. So if I can list the top 10 things I love about life, might be my job, might be my wife, might be my kids, might be my friends. If I can give God the right and say, like, before anything happens, God, you ha- you gave these things to me. And you have the right to take them away. I'm, I'm going to enjoy them for as long as they last. Mm. But I realize these things aren't eternal. Job's, the strength of his faith in the beginning of the book is where he says, hey, naked I came from this womb, and naked I will return. So <laughs> I didn't come into the world with a thousand uh, head of livestock. I didn't come out of my mother's womb holding on to my ten children. <laughs> you know, poor woman. Mm-hmm. No, th- all of this stuff, were, these were gifts that God gave to me in my life. And if God gave them to me, he has the right to take them back. And so that was a big aha moment. Not to say that it's ever easier, it comes without grief. But if I start to think these are my things and I earned them and I deserve them, and God is only good if he gives them to me. Ooh, man, I'm setting myself, I'm actually using God in the first place. And I'm setting myself up for my faith to be shaken in a profound way. But if I can prepare myself for suffering and say, God, you are gracious to give it and you are just if you take it. I really set myself up to have a long-term great relationship with Jesus. Mm-hmm. So if you get to a point where you say, God, whatever you allow in my life, I will accept it whether I like it or not. That's probably yes. a, probably an okay place to be, isn't it? Yeah. It, Paul, the Apostle Paul in Second Corinthians 4, I believe, says, we fix our eyes not on things that are seen, but on the things that are unseen, because the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that we can't see are eternal. So he admitted mm-hmm. in verse 16 of that chapter, hey, even though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. And then he revealed his secrets. You know, mm-hmm. your body is wasting away and you're suffering. How, do you, how does your soul find joy? And he says, if you fix your eyes on the unseen God, his unseen son, and the unseen gifts of forgiveness and salvation, you're going to have something that will last, and it'll be a good rock for your feet to stand on. Mm-hmm. Mike, where is your personal suffering right now? Low, medium, high, where are you personally? Yeah. To be candid with you, I have yet to experience really deep heartbreak and heartache. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm pre-Job 1, okay. <laughs> um, and I, I think of that often. Like, my life 
comparatively to people who've deeply suffered has been easy. Mm -hmm. And I I know that's not going to last forever. And so I'm trying to prepare myself with a good theology. I've been through hard times and frustrating situations, but not profound loss like we talked about today. And so I just want to prepare my heart with good theology. And uh, there's a great song by the band Rend Collective that's called Weep With Me. And I want to take heart the lyrics of that song that say, what's true in the light is still true in the dark. Mm -hmm. So I'm walking in the light of God's favor right now. But if things get dark and difficult, what I believe before will still be true. And I want to hold on to that as best I can. Yeah. You want to know how to use the first aid kit before you cut your head open with the water ski, right? Ooh, there it is. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Mike, thanks for spending time with me today. Always nice to have you on the show. Thanks for having me back, Bill. You bet. Pastor Mike Novotny has been my guest. When Life Hurts, How to See Through Suffering. If you want to receive a daily email featuring a scripture graphic, you can sign up for uh, at, for the verse of the day at myfaithradio.com. I think you should do it. I think it's great. And if you want to share your faith radio story, is if faith radio has become a part of your daily journey with God, we'd love to hear your story. You can share how God is using Faith Radio to encourage you and to help you grow. You can do that also at MyFaithRadio.com. We will take a short break and be back with more in just a minute. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.